0: to you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Deborah Driscoll. She is the founder of Big Life Magic, an author and a spiritual teacher. Deborah, welcome. I am so happy to have you here, and I cannot wait to jump in and share a little bit about your story and your journey. How are you doing today?
1: I am well, thank you. I am well, and I'm excited to be here with <laughs> you.
0: I love hearing that, and I cannot wait to jump in. So, with that being said, let's get started. So. You wear those hats. You also wear a few other hats that we will get to and we will discuss through the course of the interview. You do wear a hell of a lot of hats and you have one hell of an extensive resume. It would seem, though, that most of the hats you wear have a very common thread running through them, and that is energy work or energy related. I'm curious with all that you do, all these titles that you wear, how do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization to you?
1: Many hats indeed. (laughs) Yeah. And what it means is that I have many hats to draw from. So when I was in my 20s, discovering who am I, even into my 30s, I would reflect upon why do you keep shifting, Deborah? So you're studying this and now you're working with that organization and you're working with all of these things. And you're right in that one of the common threads, what the major common thread is energetics, like the energy of People, the human experience. But the other thread there, which is like the very close second right behind the energy, is storytelling. So I have had this amazing experience of being able to experience humans Mm -hmm. through their energy and their stories in many ways as a community artist, as a healer, as a teacher, many ways. And as shared, In my 20s and 30s, it felt like I was puzzle pieces that wasn't coming together. And now what I know and feel and actually use in my work is I see that I was and continue to be somebody who is developing quilt squares. Mm
0: -hmm. I like that analogy. Each quilt
1: square creates the amazing quilt, beautiful, colourful tapestry. And so the work that I do gives me the ability to be able to work from the whole quilt. Some people may draw upon a particular square more than the others. Like an example of that might be when I was still living in Australia. This is about 15 years ago now. (laughs) For three years I worked Mm part-time at a a homeless service in the centre of the city for at-risk and homeless teenagers. And my role there was working with the teen parents. So they were either on the street already or at risk of being on the street, and then suddenly they're not only are they a teenager at risk, they've got a kid. Wow. And so a lot of those parents, their children were actually in the care of child services, and they worked with me through the parenting program that I facilitated in within the service in order to learn the skills to be a stable parent and in the hope that they would get custody of their children back. Or -hmm. for the people who still had custody, this was a condition by the court to maintain that custody. And so for three years, I was diving deep into attachment theory, deep into parent-child relationships, like what happens when we're little and how it relates to who we are when we're grown up. We can read about that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We can listen to other people sharing the stories. But for three years, I was in a deep dive with people and their children in learning and understanding that. And now that attachment, how we attach to a parent when we're little and how that translates to our energy and the story that we're telling about ourselves. Oh, yeah, that's in my work now. So it's like the different squares of the quilt were almost like different classrooms I went into to learn different lessons about the energy and the stories of humans and how they interact to create the lives we lead.
0: I love that. The storytelling is such an important piece because we all, it is my belief, and I'm sure you would agree, every single person on this planet has a story to tell, and we need to share that story with the world. The world needs to hear your story. They need to hear your voice. It's your duty to do that, to share that, because it's going to help or resonate with someone out there.
1: Absolutely. That's a huge part of what I do is sharing my stories and I share my stories honestly. I'm not the type of spiritual teacher who's only gonna share the stories of look what I achieved.
0: Yeah. Or I <laughs>
1: overcame this. Yeah. No, I don't believe in that. I believe in sharing all of the colors of the rainbow in my storytelling so that it can also reflect to people that we do have so many stories within us which means we have layers of lessons. And what I find in the storytelling work that I do is the storytelling work is a catalyst to open a portal of reflection for the listener so that they can access that story or the universal threads within that story in their own life.
0: It's giving people permission to stand up and share their story. Yes. I love it. Yes. With you wearing so many hats and being a multi-passionate entrepreneur, I'd love to know, what does your morning routine look like, Deborah?
1: I used to be one of those people who was chasing that, Mm -hmm. oh, look, it's so beautiful morning routine. (laughs) Because it's spoken about a lot in the spiritual space as like something really important. For me, it had a lot of weight. And then about, I don't know, it'd be at least a year or more ago, I had this magical moment where I was like, oh, I've become one of those people I wanted to be. I now have a morning routine that is sustained and it's at ease and it's at service to me, which is why I love this question because I want to answer it in two parts. Okay. first part is what is my morning routine? Then why, how does it serve me? But then the second part is I want to actually talk about my morning this morning. Sure to talk about, let's look at the full picture here. So my morning routine, I have the privilege and delight of living on the island of Tobago, deep in okay. the Caribbean. And less than 10 minutes walk from me is the Caribbean Sea.
0: Oh, beautiful.
1: So I'm just going to acknowledge my morning routine in that location. <laughs> <Yeah>. Really <laughs> supports my morning routine. Here.
0: That, that sets up the, yeah. the picture for sure. <laughs>
1: yeah, let me set that up right here. So in the morning, like I will wake... Before dawn, I will make the cup of coffee. I make sure I drink the water first Mm -hmm. because I've learnt that lesson.
0: Important to mention that. Yeah, (laughs)
1: important to mention that. Drink your water. So I make my cup of coffee and I make my way outside to sit with my morning cup of coffee, listen to the birds, watch the light change in the sky and hang out with me and my journal. And my journaling is whatever it needs to be that morning. Sometimes it's just gibberish. Sometimes it's I've woken with something on my mind. That needs to be explored or expressed. Sometimes it's the continuation of working on a story I'm working on and a new layer of themes. Sometimes it's pages. Sometimes it's a couple of sentences. I don't have rules about the journaling. I just let it go. And I love to write. Writing for me is healing. Why journaling works for me. It's not going to work for everyone in a morning routine. I start with coffee and writing. And then when that feels complete, I grab the swimsuit and the sun hat and I make Mm -hmm. my way to the ocean and the first thing that I do is I walk and I walk as long as I need to walk because for me also walking is balancing the left foot the right foot the left foot the right foot balancing left and right brain it helps me to move my body and to just be with seeing the wider horizon allowing my mind to open that far but often what happens in the walking is I am walking out and working through any knots that are within me. So what we know about a knot is if you pull on it, it's going to get tighter. What you want to do is just ease out thread by thread to ease the knot. So some mornings the knot might be I'm wondering about something in my business and what yeah. the next step might be. And so rather than pulling on that, sitting in front of my laptop, I allow it to ease out while I'm walking. Or another knot, and this was me earlier this year, particularly in February and March, a knot for me was a knot in my heart. My beloved elder sister, Kathy, surrendered her cancer journey in late December. And oh. so the beginning of my year was the beginning of a new grief journey for me.
0: Uh-huh. And so
1: my morning walk was working through the knot of my missing her and what I needed to tend to in order to be available to myself and the people I work with each day. So I walk as long as I need to, and sometimes that walk is, it can be long. Sometimes it works its way out. After the walk, I then surrender to the sea. (laughs) Now, this is a part of the delight of my morning is the little bay that I swim in, this is also where the elders of the island go, some of the elders who live in this part of the island. They go for their, what they call here on the island, their salt bath. And what they do is they all just bob around in the water together as a a gang of elders, (laughs) telling stories and giggling and laughing. So, up out of the water, you hear this banter and laughter. It's so delightful. And now that I've been going there for a while, all the elders know me. So, it's all good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. And it's not like I'm not in the storytelling with them. I respect that this is their storytelling and I'm just there diving around. But the thing I always do before I leave the sea is I lay back, I float, I surrender, and then I say my prayers and I activate what is a clearing and cleansing for my energetic channel. I clear away everything that I do not need for the day and I invite in a clear and present channel. Because as an energy worker and a spiritual teacher, I must tend to my energy first before I am given the privilege and, and the trust to be tending to anybody else's energy. And then when all that's done... Get out of the sea, wander home, do all the things, get ready, put the lipstick on, and we're good to go. Love it. That's the morning routine. But let's be real here. This morning, my team and I were on a deadline because Mm -hmm. tonight, I'm launching a five day intuition activation with my community and other people who have opted in for it. I'm really excited about it. And the last few days has been a lot of work in getting all the resources lined up, the email sequencing, all the things. And so this morning I woke and my one of my amazing VAs who lives in London, different time zone, has -hmm. already sent tasks that I need to tend to. So my morning was cup of coffee and the journaling mm-hmm. put that down open the laptop attend to tasks working on that before I knew it a lot of time had passed and I knew that we were meeting this morning and I was like if I'm going to get to the beach to unwind a knot and surrender to the sea to clear my channel I need to go now
0: <laughs>
1: and so the untending to the knot was a quick activation with Deborah, you just need to let it go now trust yeah. me, everything is going to work the surrendering to the sea was absolutely delightful and I made it back in time for have a shower, with the lipstick on. And <laughs> to be real, I didn't have this luxury of I can journal as long as I want to, let me walk as long as I need to. And I share that because life is life and a morning routine is something that is supportive of you but if you find that it's no longer supporting you because it's this strict thing or it's something that you have set up for yourself that's what you think you should do, not actually what's serving you, then it's not going to work. And if there's a morning where your VA in London is sending you a whole heap of tasks or your children need your attention or your husband has things that need to work out with you before the day can begin, whatever it may be, then allow that Mm. because that's the morning of that day.
0: Love that! Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Very important to note that we have to go with the flow of life. Sometimes shit yeah. comes up, and yes. we got to deal with it. Absolutely.
1: Right? And I'm not the type of spiritual teacher who says this is the way. I think that sets us up for either pass or fail. For sure. And it feels then like there's a test that we have to study for and then sit. I don't think that's actually the magical playground.
0: No, absolutely I don't think not. That
1: that's the purpose. A morning routine needs to be supportive of you, whoever you are, and the energy that you bring to each day. So I support people to find that.
0: Deborah, what were you doing for a living before making the jump into entrepreneurship and what inspired the leap into entrepreneurship for you?
1: As shared in the in the quilt squares, I have had this wonderful experience of working in Australia, the United Kingdom, the United States, some work in Sri Lanka. So in different parts of the world and with amazing organizations and community and nonprofit organizations. And these different roles were all really interesting and they always had this little intuitive nudge of, yes, this is amazing, yes, be it service where you are now, but this is not the end of the story. And so for years, this was a part of my like, what is the story then? <laughs> you know, like, I know I'm in this chapter, but what are we working towards? I spent years actually not knowing, but knowing I had this intuitive nudge that was saying we're working towards something pay attention. Mm -hmm. Research is important. Gather it all. And then my nudge into entrepreneurship was when I hit the peak of the learning where I realized I am supporting so many other people to build their businesses or to build their missions in the world. I'm really ready to build my own. I could feel that, like the intuitive nudge was no longer nudging. It was now screaming, singing, shouting, waving its arms, saying, you're ready. A two
0: by four in the back of the head. Yeah,
1: it's time. (laughs) Step into the magic.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) What drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and excelling at all that you do, Deborah?
1: There's a couple of things. For me personally, there is that strong intuitive thread That continues to tell me, keep going for what you are doing is important and people need it and you are at service and there is more yet to come that you don't even know about yet. So my curiosity and also my commitment to what it is that I'm sharing and teaching and hoping to heal for myself and others in this life. And then there's also, I have a really strong will. I love working. if you ask my husband, he says, I probably love it a little bit too much, (laughs) but I really love what I do. So that keeps me going. But really the center, the heart of it is this strong, it's more than an intuitive thread. It's like a deep knowing that I'm on the right path now. And the path is actually wide and deep and long and beautiful. So stay there.
0: That makes it so easy when we're so in alignment with our mission or the work we're doing to dive into that work so deeply that really you don't even pay attention or notice how quickly the time goes. And before you know it, you've been at work 10 hours and it's and the time is gone, so you don't really pay attention to it. You don't realize it because you're so enthralled in the work you're doing because you love it so much. You have such a deep passion and yearning to do that work that you don't realize how much time goes by. And I think that's something that we do have to be mindful of as well, because we do need to take that time for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And although the work that we're doing doesn't feel like work, it's still taking away from other things. So we have to be very mindful of that as well. I think that's very important to mention.
1: Yes. And that's exactly what I did a couple of days ago. So as shared, I've been working on this five-day activation that launches today. And other aspects of my business. It's been a really excitable time, which I'm very pleased about, but it also means, yeah, Deb D can work for 12 hours <laughs> and barely take a breath. I'm writing, in, over the last couple of weeks, I've been writing this a tune, 5-Day Intuition Activation. And one of the first things that we do in the five days is tune in, listen to right. self, right? Yeah. And so I just had to start giggling to myself and I was just like, Deb D, <laughs> You're really busy. Are you doing what you teach? And I am the spiritual teacher who I always do first before I teach. So I was like, well, I have actually learned to really listen to my channel so I can listen to my channel and work at the same time. But when is the last time that my intuitive channel was the only channel? And I was like, well, that happens when I'm swimming in the sea and these moments, but not sustained. Right. So Friday at 5pm, I turned off the phone and I closed the laptop and I spent days disconnected from any voice that was not my own. And it was interesting. My husband said to me when I said to him on Friday, I said, this is what I'm doing at the end of the workday. kind of looked at me with this quirky curiosity. It was like, are you going to be able to do that? <laughs> and, and I said, not only am I going to be able to do that, I can't wait. And I tell you what, it was delightful. And oh, I'll be doing it again.
0: Yeah, much needed.
1: Much needed. And a part of my journey, not only as a teacher, but also someone who's been active in healing myself, is I have had periods of time where I've spent like 10 days in silent meditation, two weeks on my own in a random place where I've just decided to meditate and write and disconnect. And I see them as major turning points in my healing and also in my teaching. And it, it was because of the stop, pause, breathe.
0: The awareness.
1: The awareness.
0: I want to dive into and discuss the spiritual aspect of the work you do. It's been, we've brought it up a few times now, and that common thread of energy work and, of course, spirituality that runs through a lot of your work. I'm very curious how your spiritual journey began, Deborah. Was there a catalyst moment in your life that led you down that spiritual path that you can share with us?
1: Yeah. I was born, well, we're all born intuitive, I believe our intuition is our first sense, not our sixth sense. Uh And for me, there's stories, I can't remember it to tell you the truth, but I remember some little flashes. There's stories of me being the young girl who was telling the adults around me things they didn't know yet. And it freaked them out a little bit. And so I, as an intuitive, sensitive child, picked up on this energy and I understood it as this isn't right. And so From an early age, I actually closed down my channel. And it was still present as I was learning and growing and being a young girl and then a teenager, and it would come through in these moments. But I was not focused on it, and it definitely wasn't the open channel that it is now. And if anything, when it would open, it often led to discomfort or, again, this poking at the, that's not allowed, well, that's strange. This is interesting that you ask this because just in the last few weeks, I've had this story from when I was a teenage girl come back into my consciousness and I was like, well, wow, I haven't thought about that for years and years. So when I was about 11, 10 or 11, no, no, I think I was 11, my best friend Emily Claridge was going to summer camp and I was a bit jealous. I was <laughs> like, I want to go to summer camp. And like, this is in Australia where summer camp back in the – early 80s. It wasn't something that a lot of Australian kids did, not like like other parts of the world where right. summer camp is a thing. And so Emily was going to summer camp and I wanted to go to summer camp. So mum, dad, can I go to summer camp? And they were impressed by my desire to want to do something different and to be independent. And so they met me there and we found a camp that still had a vacancy and I got in. I didn't get to go to camp with Emily Claridge, very disappointing for me. I didn't get to go to camp. So for a week I was there staying in the dorm room with the other girls and we're doing the adventures and one day one of the girls in our dorm room became ill. Like it was a stomach bug or a headache, I can't remember the detail now, but it was something where she didn't get to come on the activity for the day, she stayed at the dorm. We're all coming back from the activity for the day and everyone's talking about, oh, I hope she's okay. And there's this high teenage girl drama of, oh, my God, somebody's ill.
0: <laughs>
1: I hope she's okay. And I got this intuitive hit. She's going to be okay in a day. After she rests, she will be fine tomorrow, right, mm-hmm. and very clearly. So just come from this activity. I'm walking back through the bushland that we we're in, back to the cabin. And without thinking, I just say to the girls from my dorm room, she's going to be okay, it's just going to take a day, the exact words that I'd heard. And I got slammed. There was a stop, there was a turn. How dare you? She's ill. You, you. And it was horrible. Teenage girls turning on you? They ostracised me for the rest of camp. And I was then told again by me, Being intuitive is dangerous. Don't share what you receive. People don't like it. So when I was young, it wasn't an open channel because it didn't feel safe. And then when I was 18 turning 19, I was accepted into a university degree, which was to study theatre. So I left my family, went to the big city, and joined a whole motley crew of other drama theatre kids in a university degree where we're studying literally the drama of life. (laughs) And I'm talking with the characters, amazing people, some of them who I'm still really close to today. This is like a long time ago now, more than 30 years. And it was then that I kind of found myself again in, it's, I'm allowed because everyone at theatre school, we all had, quirks to our character. So it felt like a space where I could actually really be me. I was about 19 and I see a deck of tarot cards in my hand. Like I can't remember how I got that deck. I don't remember that part of the story, but I do remember shuffling those cards. I do remember feeling like I had come home. And there were many people who I was studying with at university who really wanted a reading from Deb because it was fun and we were in play. But what I remember is I knew how to read the cards and sure I still needed to study and do all the work I did around tarot in that first chapter of me actually learning to be a channel and learning to be a teacher and a healer but it came really easily naturally and I was like 19 and going I'm good at this (laughs) so that's where I started to own it and then from there it's just a magical journey of many, (laughs) many modalities and different card decks and haven't turned back from there
0: so when did you start because your gifts have been suppressed and I think that happens to a lot of people when they do realize that they have those gifts early on in life as children they do get suppressed because of the conditioning of the adults around us in society and all of these things so when did you really embrace your gift and start to use it to help people
1: For years, for me, it was an exploration and I was the student and I was soaking up everything and sharing it with the people around me, whether it was a card reading or mixing oils when I'd learned aromatherapy back in the day before aromatherapy was really a thing that everyone knew about. But one of the bigger turning points for me was when my son Sage was in his first year of life, I chose to not work which for me, as Shed, I love to work. That was a big deal for me because I knew I only get this first year once and I don't want to miss anything. Yeah. And so I spent the first year of Sage's life not working and being the full-time mum and hanging out with my son, a delight. And Brad, the day after Sage's first birthday, I'm looking for a job. (laughs) I'm I'm ready. My mind is, I want to be meeting with people. I want to be using my brain in a different way. And I did find this position advertised close to me. It was part-time. It was going to work with also being a single mum. It was being a part of a team that was putting together a community arts and culture festival. So I was like, I have all of the skills for that job. I also knew someone who was a part of the team. So I was like, I know him. I've got the skills. I think I'm an in for this job. And I went to the job interview and I was slightly nervous that day. There was an energy I couldn't quite anchor into Mm -hmm. And I was sitting in the car before going into the interview and I said, okay, universe, I do not hear what you're trying to tell me. I can feel it, but it's not coming through. But what I feel is this. I'm going to do the best job I can at this interview. And if this is the job for me, give it to me. And I will Mm -hmm. do the best that I can. If this is not the direction you want me to go in, block this. And I will hear that. I did an excellent job at the interview, walked away feeling quietly confident couple of days later I get the news I did not get the job so I went okay let's play what's happening universe you did not want me going back in that direction of this community arts community engagement work and what came through really clearly is it's time to study so that's when I spent the next couple of years while Sage was young studying traditional Chinese medicine reflexology massage I could go on. Lots of shaky. Like I just spent then when Sage was young, before he went to school and things shifted for me again, I spent the next few years studying, learning, applying, and the universe was right. It was the absolute best magic move for me. And it was then that I heard it clearly. The universe was like, yes, yeah, you could keep continue to work in communities with people, but please accept the fact that you are a healer go in that
0: direction. Love it. Now, as mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, you're trained in multiple areas and modalities. Can you speak a little bit about how you incorporate those into your work, as well as give us a brief overview of your approach when working with clients?
1: Well, as shared, it's like the quilt squares that create the whole quilt.
0: <laughs> I love that analogy, by the way, Deborah. Yeah.
1: and And when I'm working with someone, what I'm doing is seeking to meet them where they are at energetically. So everybody who I work with, one of the first things I invite them to do is anchor into their own magic, which means stay connected to what is happening for you. Do not collapse into me. Yes, I am your guide. Yes, I will help by teaching you some things and helping you with some navigation points. But I am here for you to work with you So first, anchor into your own energy. And that's also what I do. I anchor into my energy. So it's not only me working with people, it's the channel of me working with people. And so when I'm working with people, absolutely first anchor into that magic for myself and for them. And then wherever they are at, I am working with the complete person. What is turning up in their everyday material world, as well as the energy patterns within them, as well as the beliefs, thoughts, and energy patterns that have been sustained maybe all the way back from childhood, as well as their hopes and their dreams. So the whole person is what I'm working with, mind, body, heart, spirit, all the way up to soul. And in order to do that, I need a whole heap of quilt squares.
0: (laughs) I want to dive into your work as a grief guide and grief in general with you. First of all, I'm curious, why did you decide to use the term grief guide as opposed to say coach? Secondly, why did you decide to focus your energy and business on helping people who are going through or dealing with grief in their lives? And thirdly, did this begin with some of your own personal journey and struggles with grief and through grief?
1: I'm going to answer that in reverse. Okay. The third question, the second question, the first yeah. <laughs> question. To me, that's how the narrative goes, like in the story right. of it. So as shared, I have spent years being the teacher as well as the student, as well as the practitioner and the healer, and all of that creates who I am as a whole person. And then 10 years ago, who I am as a whole person was broken open. On the 3rd of April 2013, I woke to the day... And my son, Sage, did not. There was no warning. During the night, his heart had stopped and his spirit took flight. So I woke that morning to go and wake him in Mm. his bed and he had been gone for hours. His spirit was already in flight and I'd missed Mm. the exit. So on that day, I shifted from being a single mother to a grieving mother. Wow. In that moment. And it was completely shocking because... He wasn't unwell. He wasn't sick. It was complete, okay, now sliding doors, you are now in a whole different reality. And a few days later, I'm at home and I'm crumpled on the kitchen floor. This is where I'd collapse where my legs just couldn't hold me any longer. And I can hear my family and friends out in the back garden and they're sharing stories and pouring wine. Like but This is the Australian version of sitting shiver everyone's in and around my home and I'm alone on the kitchen floor. And it wasn't like this collapse, like sobbing, intense. It was just like, I just couldn't hold myself. It just was too heavy. But what I found in this moment of surrender was curiosity came to meet me. And the question that curiosity asks is, what's possible? If I now apply everything I know about humans and healing to myself, can I survive this? And if you survive can you thrive? And I was deeply curious about that. I was like, okay, this is what has been delivered to me. It is sitting in my lap with me, crumpled on the kitchen floor. My son is gone and I am here. Why? Why is this a part of my story? Because I don't believe that there's mistakes in the universe.
0: I agree. And
1: everything I believed about spiritual practice, everything was challenged, so I wanted to re-examine everything. And I also wished the best for myself. I was like, I'm going to go through this grief. I'm going to explore what is possible here for my heart and my journey. Because in earlier parts of my life, I hadn't done so well at grief. So I knew what happens if you don't do a good job. It doesn't turn out well. Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> and so that day on the kitchen floor, that's the day that I took my first step on my big life loss to big life magic journey. And my first step started with open curiosity and wishing the best for myself. So that's how this work around this grief guidance work that I do. And why I chose to begin to work with others is what I found early on in my journey from loss to Magic is nobody knows what to do. There is no map. There's no guidebook. There are a lot of teachers and amazing practitioners who work in grief And some of it was supportive, but what I was seeking was the how to, how do we do this? And that's what I discovered on my own through other also amazing teachers and different experiences that I had. But a part of my journey was figuring out the how and also working with, again, what is possible here? Because the other thing I found in my grief journey is what I was discovering, I needed to teach the people around me because nobody knows what the steps are nobody knows how to talk about it nobody really knows how to support someone in grief and so it's kind of just like a big mess it's a mess it's a mess on top of a messy situation where hearts are broken and I know that there is a desire for people to want to know how for people to want to do better and so that's a part of what I speak and write about and that's why I say guide because my desire is that through my writing and through my speaking that people do begin to learn and understand and incorporate in their lives the why and the how of grief. Like I don't believe that anybody other than yourself can truly be with you on a grief journey from loss to magic. People can journey with us. They can assist by guiding us or supporting us. But grief is about your heart, and your heart is yours.
0: It, it is a much needed service in the world because we don't know how to handle or deal with grief. More so, we don't know how to support people in grief. As you said, that is the biggest lesson that people need is to be taught how to support people because people don't even know what to say. And so many times they end up saying the wrong things and it could end very badly saying the wrong things depending upon who you're speaking with. I think it's better to Just in my opinion, through my experiences with grief as well, I think it's better to just say, "I'm here if you need me. I'll be here to listen, and that's it. You don't need to say anything more. Just being there, I think, speaks volumes. That lets the people know.
1: Yes, and because the just being there means I'm not going to try to fix you, because that's where a lot of the danger is seeded, because people want the discomfort and the pain to go away for the person that they love or care for. So they think the, the best service they can give is to help by fixing, taking the pain away. Right. And it's that's not the point. Our hearts break on purpose so our souls can bounce. So what we actually really need to do is to stay with the pieces of our heart as we put it back together, which is why a part of what I write and speak about and I'm so happy to be sharing it now in this moment to everybody listening. This is how you can support someone who is grieving. Ask them, how is your heart? The reason that question works is, when you ask somebody, how are you, people in grief literally cannot answer that question. The mind is not working the way it normally works. The nervous system is completely hijacked. It's really difficult to identify how am I? Or if someone says, tell me what you need. We don't know what we need because grief there has scrambled so much. But what we do know is my heart is broken. Grief is all about heart repair. So if you actually want to be at service to somebody and support them, ask the question, how is your heart? And then just listen.
0: There's the key right there is this using your ears listen we have two ears and one mouth for a reason and i also say
1: what about if you listen with your heart absolutely listen with your heart let hearts have a conversation rather than minds
0: yeah i love that thank you so much for sharing that bit of information deborah that'll be really helpful for people so how have these experiences then helped shape the deborah you are today both personally and professionally (laughs)
1: Yeah. So in terms of let's talk about hearts for a minute. I say, and I believe it to be true because it's beating within me, the heart I have now is completely different than the heart that I had when Sage Joseph was living in the world with me, earthbound. Now, there was nothing wrong with my heart before. It was doing its best in learning lessons around love. But, yeah, it had some edges and it also had a very, well-crafted, sculpted wall of ice around it. (laughs) I was an excellent ice queen. I played that character really well. And there were some things in my life that could thaw it, Sage Joseph being one, but also there was a lot of things in my life up until then that actually just gave me reason to build the wall higher. And then Sage died and all of that ice and my heart completely shattered into a million pieces. And I went on the journey from loss to magic, big life loss. This took a while, Brad. This isn't yeah. a good journey. No. And I went on this journey to pick up all of those pieces and figure out how to stitch them back together. And what I found is this, the energetic heart and why it breaks. So I talk about hearts break and souls bounce. I believe our hearts break on purpose. We will meet a big life loss so that our heart breaks so that we are given the opportunity to put our focus on our heart and not our mind and work on this heart repair. And when we're actually attentive to heart repair, it's working on strengthening the energetic heart. So I like to say, imagine you want a well-sculpted bicep. If you want that, you're going to work it.
0: Yeah, for You're
1: going sure. to get the weight, you're going to do the bicep curls. And then the next day, your bicep is going to be sore. That's going yep. to give you the indication that you've done the work. And the reason the muscle is sore, now this comes from my massage therapy training, see? <laughs> the reason the muscle is sore is because the muscle fibres have literally broken because you work them out, work them to the point of snapping, breaking,
0: mm-hmm. stretching
1: to the point of broken. And then in the healing, because our amazing body is so amazing, it will work <laughs> to pull those muscle fibres back together to heal them. And when they pull back together and heal, they in turn strengthen. You do that enough times and, whoa, look at that bicep now. Yeah. You have strengthened the muscle. Exactly the same thing happens with our energetic heart. It breaks on purpose so that we then tend to pull all of those threads back together and in the pulling of them back together, we strengthen them, which means we strengthen our energetic heart. So for me now, my energetic heart is strong. I have been working it out for 10 years. It is well sculpted, nice shape, healthy heart. (laughs) And that informs who I am today. Like the way I understand love, completely different now compassion surrender allowing there's so many layers to it and that has everything to do with the fact that I surrendered and said yes to my big life loss journey and worked the repair of my heart that's why it's well sculpted now (laughs)
0: You're willing to put in the work, which is the same. I mean, we have to utilize that skill set across the board with everything in life. You have to put in the work. If you want to achieve something, you got to put in the work. It's not just going to fall on your lap. You have to work at it. So thank you for sharing that. I love the analogies there. And I think it's brilliant. Now, with grief, as we both know, it's a very tough road to navigate. And everybody deals with that road in their own way differently. What are a couple of suggestions or tools besides the one you mentioned that you have in your tool belt that you can recommend to the audience listening if they're going through their own grief struggles right now that they can implement immediately to start helping themselves through the process of grief?
1: I am so happy to help. First thing I want to share about big life loss and our heartbreak is what I call the four D's of loss. I believe we will all meet at least one if we have not met it already. The four Ds are death, divorce, diagnosis, or the dream that doesn't come true. So I just want to acknowledge that for everybody listening, which D has met you or which D is pulsing in your heart now? Because I think grief gets a lot of attention when someone dies.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Whereas grief is actually universal and it is a part of our human experience and also a part of our love evolution. So for whatever big life loss you are currently experiencing or will experience, the first thing to know is the shock lasts longer than we give it time for. Early in a grief journey, a big life loss journey, I encourage people to find ground again. Make your promise to yourself because it's got nothing to do with anybody else except you and your heart. And make this promise not as like a lofty thing of, well, I promise that. Mm -hmm. Make it something that actually means something to you because the promise to always wish the best for myself is my greatest fear in my grief journey is that people would pity me. And I knew that my fear that people would pity me would mean that I would go into Deb Driscoll overdrive and not show people my pain. And I was like, well, that's not going to be helpful. So instead of fearing pity, I decided to wish the best for myself. So my wishing the best for myself made sense to me. That promise made sense to me. So when you promise something to yourself and when you continue to turn up for the promise, what that actually gives us as humans is it develops our confidence. When we keep a promise to ourselves, we in turn automatically get more confident. So you will build your confidence in, I've got this. I've got this. I may only be at the beginning of the journey or I may be in a part of the journey that really hurts but I've got this. I've got myself. So I invite people to make a promise to yourself and then step onto the path.
0: Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That The second one I think is one of the most important ones is to face the grief head on, To as you said, to not go under it, not go over it, but go through it. You have to give yourself that space. You have to give yourself that grace when going through it to let those feelings come in. Sit with them. I mean, don't live in the feelings, but let them wash through you. You owe that to yourself. That's part of the healing process is going through the grieving part of it and the painful part of it. Yeah.
1: The standard human response is one of four things. I'm going to deny it. I'm going to deny it and bury it. Mm -hmm. That's not happening. I'm going to numb it. My numbing, when I chose to numb, I had rivers of wine, Brad. (laughs) That That was my numbing. And I forgave myself for that. So we numb it, we deny it, we bury it, we slap a band-aid on, Mm -hmm. thinking that the band-aid's gonna stick and it doesn't. Or we just completely get lost inside it and it becomes everything we are.
0: All consuming.
1: All consuming. And then we end up stuck and lost. So all four of those not so helpful in a big life lost to big life magic journey. And we end up there because, let's say it again, we don't know how to do this. We're grief illiterate, which is why I created the Big Life Loss to Big Life Magic framework. I have a stepping stone framework where you can move from and with the loss towards and into the magic. And as we know, healing is not linear. It's a spiral. So yes, the loss to magic framework starts at the L of loss and goes through the OSS all the way through to the magic. But you can skip and swirl your way through the framework where you need to be on your journey. But what it does give you is nine anchor points. And every single one of those anchor points are a part of a lost to magic journey. So I have chosen to answer the question that I had on my journey. Where's the map?
0: (laughs) Grief illiterate. I love that term. I think that's a brilliant term. It's so true. We are struggle through that it's a tough road for sure now deborah you believe that grief and joy which i love this grief and joy are soulmates can you talk a bit about that and why you believe this to be true
1: yeah and they are and they love each other so much (laughs) yeah so this goes back to the energetic heart So when we work our energetic heart and we're building it to create it stronger, it means that it can hold, it has the capacity for all of the human experiences and emotions. What happens is if we minimise grief, if we do the burying or the the denying, if we minimise grief, we in turn minimise joy because our hearts work in extremes. The first extreme is love and fear. They're Mm -hmm. two extremes of our human experience. Another extreme is grief and joy. So you'd see it as like two hands of prayer. This is the work of Francis Weller. Maybe people may know him. If not, if you are in a grief journey, Francis Weller is an amazingly beautiful writer and teacher. And he speaks about the two hands of prayer coming together and that you actually need them coming together for the prayer position. And it's the same with grief and joy. So what happens when we work with our grief journey and work our energetic heart, we are also at the same time working on our capacity for joy. We may not feel it in the moment of working through the loss part, but when we get further down towards the magic end of the journey, you will find that your experience of joy is now completely different because you've worked that energetic heart. And what happens in life is this, humans want the joy. Joy is always invited to the party. Grief, never on the invited guest list. (laughs) I'm here to tell you, invite grief to your party because if you invite grief and then say, hey, grief, why don't we dance on the dance floor? What song do you want to listen to? Joy is going to follow grief and going to be so happy that it's soulmate that joy loves so much has been invited to the party because joy knows grief is one of the greatest teachers our heart will ever meet. And it makes joy really upset that their soulmate is not invited to the party that they're invited to.
0: I love that. Wow. I love that your analogies, Deborah. They're incredible. <laughs>
1: See, this is the storytelling, Brad. I, yeah, love I love stories. It. I love yes. stories.
0: <laughs> so you've mentioned this a few times now, big life loss to big life magic. Can you explain to us what exactly that pathway looks like?
1: So as shared, I've developed the Lost to Magic framework. And this came from not only my journey, but also working with others in their, of their own journey. And this need for humans, myself included, to have the map, have the guide. What do I do? I also believe that there's a lot of speak about you need to feel your feelings yes and then what <laughs> do, I, do, do I just sit in them or like in a, and our emotions are a gift to ourselves our human selves to shift energy so we want to see emotion as e-motion energy in motion so it's like how do we work that So the Lost to Magic Framework is literally L-O-S-S. There's a bridge to M-A-G-I-C. And each of those steps has particular activations, exercises and lessons around how to be with the parts of the map that you're on. If you're on L right at the beginning and maybe a place you need to return to, L is all about love and loss. So when you're in the L part of the journey, You're actually looking at, what am I learning about love? What does this mean for my heart? And we explore love in a whole heap of different ways. And we also explore the loss. What have I lost? What does this mean for me? Because what can often happen in the loss is it gets focused on the person or the thing that has been lost. And that's actually not where the loss focus should be. The loss focus is deeper than that. So that's L. Whereas say we want to get to the first S, That first S is sadness and screaming. So it's about, okay, how do we express these emotions? How do we actually channel them? And what are these emotions teaching us? What is the movement of them? So each step in the Lost to Magic framework in the journey has the understanding around why is this a part of our human experience? What is this sharing and teaching with us about love and ourselves? And then some literal how-to activations and things that people can
0: do. Beautiful. Thank you. I would love to speak a little bit about your book. You released mm. last summer, right? Correct. That was last summer you released that? Yeah.
1: So last summer was the re-release of the audiobook version. Okay. The original okay. release was in January, 2020, and we all know what happened. Yes, yeah. we
0: do. <laughs> <laughs> Can you share with us about the book, the title, subject matter, all of that good stuff?
1: Absolutely. I loved writing the book. I loved it more than I thought I would. And I knew not very long after Sage died that I would write a book. I was told that very clearly through my intuition that a book was being written as I was healing and it took me five years to begin writing the book. And I began writing a series of surrenders, a memoir of grief, when I was ready because I was clear about this. I will write a book when what I have to share is at service to other hearts. I was very clear about the fact that I do not want to write my story so that I can write my story. I knew right from the beginning this will be at service to all hearts. So, Deborah, work on your own heart first and you will know when you are ready. And five years later it was clear, oh, you're ready. (laughs) And so then goes into the delight of writing a series of surrenders. And originally I thought a series of surrenders was going to be about Sage's death and what happened after Sage has died and everything my heart has learned. But what actually happened is the story expanded to the first two big life losses I experienced. When I was 19 turning 20, Nick, the very first man I had ever fallen in love with, chose to take his own life. Wow. He called me up on the phone and said, I'm sorry and I love you. I thought he was apologising for a fight that we'd had the day earlier. He wasn't. He was apologizing for the fact he was just about to break my heart by taking his life. I knew he was at that edge and I was trying to pull him away from that edge. And then, seven months later, when I was 21, my father suffered a heart attack that took his life.
0: Holy shit.
1: So, I'm 20 turning 21 and I've lost the very first man I ever fell in love with and the very first man I ever loved. And I'm 21 at theater school. And what I know about grief then is it takes about a year you got to feel your feelings, and apparently there's something about five stages. <laughs> That's all I knew, right? Yeah. My whole peer group is grieving Nick. My family is grieving my father. Nobody knows what to do. So my response was light some candles, drink a beer, light the next joint. I mean, I'm 21. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is I'm, yeah. thinking, I'm feeling my feelings, Brad. Anyway, yeah. no, I'm not going to do any spoiler alert, but, you know, that doesn't go so well. So the series of surrenders actually starts back with my early process with grief, where I didn't move through the loss towards the magic. I got lost. And it starts there all the way through to Sage being with me in this life, his death, and then all the way through to where I am now, which is in the live reality of my big life magic with my husband here on the island of Tobago.
0: Beautiful. And so how difficult or how cathartic was the process of writing this book for you, Deborah?
1: Again, I, I actually found it to be a delight. Like I love storytelling.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: love creativity. And the thing about the writing was because it's memoir, the memories are coming up and out. So there were definitely some days where ooh, it hurt. And there were some days where it was like, oh, wow, my memory's giving me that scene. I forgot about that. <laughs> but I began writing when I was living up in New York. I was living with one of my sisters in our Brooklyn apartment and I'd write on the weekends and I'd find that Monday, Tuesday were really difficult because the memories were sticking to the walls of my apartment. I was like, wow, this isn't going to work. So then I moved myself to the New York Public Library. A part of the New York Public Library, there's a room called the Rose Reading Room. I love that room. It's beautiful. I mean, you've seen it in movies and stuff. It's like mm. it's a beautiful part of the library. So I'd sit in the Rose Reading Room and write there and I just found like there's too much energy in this room. There's all these amazing people sitting in this big, beautiful room I I can't focus. So what I decided to do was to leave New York for a self-directed writing retreat. And that brought me to the island of Tobago. And I sat by the sea writing my book here. And it helped. Looking out at the ocean, a wide horizon meant that my mind could be as wide. And I was literally supported by the sea. A ritual of my writing process was when I was finished writing for the day, I close a laptop, put my swimmers on, walk to the very close ocean, dive in and then say, Mother Ocean, please take from me all that I have shared today. I do not need to keep it in my energy. It is on the page. Allow me to cleanse that away so tomorrow I can approach the writing fresh, ready for the new story, ready to emerge.
0: That is a beautiful picture you paint, Deborah. (laughs) Absolutely picturesque and beautiful.
1: And necessary. For the writing that I do where I'm talking about deep threads of our heart Yeah, and I don't, like for anyone who's read or listened to my book, they will say, well, she doesn't hold back. (laughs) I go into the layers, the parts where grief was giving me major love lessons and also parts in my journey where I was off the path. Like I'm a very honest person, so I was was clear also this is going to be a balanced book of the parts that worked and the parts that didn't. Yeah, so it's necessary. So my writing process is I walk in the mornings to unlock any knots, Mm -hmm. let it begin to flow. I then flow and have a clear ending, and then when it's ended, I then use the element of water to cleanse. If I'm lucky, that's a salt bath. (laughs)
0: Lovely. As the founder of Big Life Magic, can you provide one tool or tip that users can implement immediately to start to step into and start accessing their own personal magic?
1: Yes, I love this. (laughs) Yes. This is what I say in the community and the people that I work with. I say to them, you are the magic. Now, what happens in this spiritual realm space and spiritual teaching or the magic space is often we seek another or something outside of ourselves for the thing that's going to help or give us the clue. And you are the clue. You are the magic. Your soul is a speck of source. You are the universe. You're just your little speck of the universe, earthbound now. So I say to everybody, you are the magic. And it makes a difference. So last week, was it yeah, last week or the week before, I got a voice message from someone in my magic community. So the Big Life Magic has the Big Life Magic Makers, which is a mm-hmm. virtual community for the magic curious. Such fun. <laughs> anyway, one of the magic makers sent me a voice note on WhatsApp saying, Deb, I just have to tell you a story. They were at work and they're working with somebody. They work at an education institution and, and one of the students was saying, Can you help me with this? And my magic maker friend said, I don't know if I can because they weren't sure if they had the skills to help with this particular inquiry. And then the student turned to them and said, yes, you can because you're magical. (laughs) And my magic maker friend just smiled and just was like, I am magic. I am the magic. And so then (laughs) they they sent me this message saying, you've been saying that to me for about two years and today I got it. I am the magic. I own it. And I'm like, because when people own their magic, magic turns up. It is not outside you. You are the magic.
0: Love it. Deborah. what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful?
1: I mean, definitely my intuition now that the channel's turned back on that first sense, my intuition is playful and clear and supportive, definitely. But I'm also friendly and fun. Like when people meet me, most people like me. Now there's something about me that is either approachable or easy to engage with, which I think supports because I'm not that spiritual teacher that's like up on a throne somewhere or yeah. the person who's way out there. I can't connect to them. Like I'm just a human turning up, doing my best, and I'm going to be honest about it. And I know I have some stuff I can teach you if you want to listen. You're
0: a beautiful soul, Deborah.
1: Hmm. Thanks. You ha- you're just
0: you're a relatable, beautiful human being. It's just down to earth and friendly. Absolutely. You have to be related.
1: Yeah. And working in the spiritual realm, I am absolutely grounded. Like I say, I am a witch. I identify as a witch, which to me means connected to natural rhythms. I am the witch and my broom is firmly on the ground. (laughs) Because we're earthbound. We're here. Yeah. Like our spirit informs our earthbound experience. We cannot live up in spirit we're here, grounded. So let's get real people.
0: (laughs) Deborah, speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does success mean to you?
1: I think it's layered, but what's coming to me now is that feeling that you have at the end of the day. Do I feel satisfied? Have I been at service today? Have I helped people? Have I done the best I can today? That's success. Do I want layers of success in my business with certain figures and certain global reach. Absolutely, I'm going to claim it. Yeah, I want that. But really, true success, I think, is ending that day on that peaceful note where you can take that big, deep breath in and say, I did good today.
0: I would agree with that for sure. Yes. I mean, let's be honest, we need money to survive.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: sure, we want to reach people. Part of that, having that reach and being known all over the place is part of our impact as part of giving back. But it's not, at least for me, and I'm sure you're the same. It's not the be all and end all. It's about feeling good about what you've done and being in service, which is the yes. first and foremost always is always. being in service. Always. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then that service comes back like a boomerang.
0: Yes, absolutely. It
1: really does. Yep. Yeah what
0: would you say, Deborah, is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it?
1: One of the most important things I've learned is it's all about love. Why we come earthbound, why we're here doing what we do is actually to learn about love and all of the layers of love. Now, in my earlier days, If someone was to say to me it's all about love, I'd probably get a little bit of vomit in the base of (laughs) the throat. Oh, oh, it's one of those people talking about the love stuff, you know. And one of the great lessons I learned through Sage's death was I really learned how to be with love, to understand that it is actually all about love. And it's not about the Disney or the Hallmark version of love. No. No. It's much deeper than that and it's layered and it's exquisite. And my lived beating world now is completely different because if ever in doubt, worry, concern, fear, have a question, I return to love. If in doubt, add more love. If I'm not sure what to do, what would love do? If I feel like I I want to try really hard to fix someone, I say no, no fixing. Your only job is to love them. At the end of it, every answer can come back to love.
0: Love that. What does the word empowerment mean to you?
1: You know, empowerment to me is that anchoring into your own magic, anchoring into self and accessing whatever is within you to share or be at service. You are empowered when you have access to that. And your empowerment might be, I am at service to the three children in my home. Or it may be at service to the three million people who are reading my books. Empowerment doesn't care about that. Empowerment anchors into, are you connected to it? And then is that empowerment channeling out and through you?
0: Love that. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next question must just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay. Okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Friendly. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would that be?
1: She invited grief to the party.
0: (laughs) I love that. What never fails to make you laugh?
1: My sisters.
0: If you could teach the world one thing, what would that be?
1: It's all about love.
0: What is your favorite self-care practice?
1: Swimming in the sea.
0: And that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career?
1: I think it's the grounded practical part of me that gives a a strong foundation, particularly because I'm working in aspects of like the spiritual realm and our hearts. And so having this balanced by, grounded, what's real, what are the steps, let's be practical about it. That, I believe, is also how you can be at service to people, to give them the scaffolding, which also means my brain can work with the strategy. What is the strategy in my business? Because big life magic, yeah, I'm working in people's magic and their grief transformation and they're tapping into their magic so they can have their own big life magic. All All of that's wonderful. And behind the scenes, my team is working on a strategy. So I need that practical part of me to work with. What is the scaffolding that is holding this business up?
0: Beautiful analogy. What is one lesson that your career has taught you that you think everybody should learn at some point in their life? It's
1: okay to quit. It's all right. It's okay. If you feel that it's time to leave, like I have had so many different positions in so many different organizations and with different communities. And there's definitely hit a point where it's like, okay, I've actually learned all I need to learn here. And also I have been at service to my capacity here.
0: It's time to move on. It's
1: time to move on. And I say, it's okay to quit and move on because maybe you're needed somewhere else there you go maybe you're ready to learn something else and the other thing i used to say and i would i mean i don't say it anymore because i run my own business and i don't plan on leaving it but the other thing i used to say when i was leaving positions is i now gift this position to the perfect person who needs this position yeah. now the person who has been looking for this their family needs the income this team needs that new energy to come in i do that magical spell as that's a, a beautiful
0: way of to look at it though
1: leaving a position
0: yeah, yeah that's beautiful yeah.
1: so if you need to Exit stage left.
0: <laughs> What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the past year?
1: Yeah, I have layers of resentment. Something surprising I've learned about myself. Wow. And I was like, wow, you've got layers of it in there, Deb. When I really stopped and looked, and this is a beautiful gift that I'm being given at the moment because my life is literally leveling up in What my husband and I are building here on the island of Tobago with our Big Life Magic Dream, which is our retreat center, with what my business is building, with how I'm growing up in the world. And what happens when we energetically move up, get an energetic upgrade, Mm -hmm. is it also ups the ante on our expectations. And when we have an expectation, it's either going to be met or not. And when it's not met, it can result in resentment. And I had all these big, amazing dreams. And I like to move fast, Brad. And they weren't coming fast enough. And so because expectations were not met over the last year or so, I unconsciously have been building a bank of resentment. And so now, yep, we're working our way through those layers, Brad. (laughs)
0: Doing
1: the work. Doing the work. I love it. it's like, well, here we go. I've never actually sat with resentment what's resentment got to teach me? Because I know emotions are energy in motion and resentment is there. And okay, resentment, take me for a ride.
0: Let's roll up our sleeves and let's do this. Yeah, let's
1: do this thing.
0: (laughs) I love it. Deb, what is your why?
1: My why? If I really just sit with it and try to not come up with the fancy answer, my why is I want people to feel better.
0: That's a good why. Love it. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why?
1: Elizabeth Kubler, the woman who wrote the five stages of grief. Just because as a researcher, she's fascinating. And also the other thing to know about those five stages is they weren't originally written for somebody who was grieving. They were actually written as the five stages for someone preparing to die, right? And so there's a lot of her work. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, amazing woman, researcher, amazing study of the human experience and the heart. And there's so many people who know her work and there's so much about her work that is misunderstood. Before her death, she did actually work towards correcting some of the misconceptions around her work and her research. And I just think it would be fascinating to have a conversation with her about what she found in her experience and in her research that never made it into the books or her speaking or the papers that she wrote. I will
0: definitely have to check her out.
1: Yeah, check her out. And I would love to ask her, what does this mean for you and your heart? Mm -hmm. And I'll have to wait until I get to the other side because she's (laughs) passed now.
0: (laughs) If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be?
1: Surrender. Surrender, please. Control is an illusion. And just surrender into the journey. Rather than trying to hold on, white knuckle, thinking that you can control it, surrender and play. It's supposed to be fun.
0: Absolutely. We're only here for a short time, so you might as well enjoy the ride and yeah. have as much fun as possible. People take shit and take life way too seriously, way too seriously.
1: And I can do that too. Like I find sure, myself, we all do finding, it, find myself in those corners and go, why am I not having any fun? It was like, yeah. oh, the serious hat was on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Lastly, Deb, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart?
1: Only love matters. So if you find yourself out of love or misaligned with love, just stop, pause, breathe, breathe into your heart, and add more love. Every single person, every single experience – of your life is teaching you about love because you, my friend, you are not only the magic, you are love.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much for this incredibly insightful, inspirational, fun interview. It has been an absolute pleasure having the opportunity to sit and speak with you and learn about your journey through grief and how you're helping people go from big life loss to big life magic. Mm -hmm. It has been an absolute pleasure. I am so grateful to be connected to you and to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. And thank you for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I've thoroughly enjoyed every minute of our conversation. You are a bright, beautiful light in the world. Thank you you
1: thank you what a delight
0: once again my name is brad walsh host of your empowerography podcast today my guest has been deborah driscoll she is the founder of big life magic an author and a spiritual teacher thank you so much deborah i hope you have an amazing rest of the day blessings thank you very much for listening to this podcast if you haven't yet please be sure to subscribe rate review and share with all your friends you can find me at and follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.